it up because our voices are being heard here on the Man on Second podcast, part of Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Frasero. I'm joined by our producer, Dave D'Agostino. And it's an exciting week, guys, because uh, spring training is now upon us and uh, the camps are opening, players are on the field, and uh, we're really excited to get you know baseball season going again. And we're also excited to have a very special guest today. Uh, Todd Hollinsworth, Todd, uh, former player, uh, former broadcaster, and good friend. And uh, before we introduce Todd, Dave uh, D'Agostino is going to come in with a few announcements. Yeah, uh, episode 120 right now for Real Voices of the Game production. And we appreciate all the support we're getting from our, our subscribers. We're getting close to 12,000 subscribers right now. I think Todd's going to put us over the hump today. No pressure, Todd. <laughs> and we're, we're now being broadcast in 46 countries. Uh, and I joked, even Russia and China are paying attention to us. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But 12,000 subscribers, make sure that you continue to, to download, listen, like, subscribe. It gives us the numbers we need to keep bringing you this, these uh, great baseball shows. Also, continue to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I do answer a question of the day on Facebook right now. We've been getting 50 to 60 uh, questions each day. If I don't get to you live, I certainly will get to you privately. So continue to do that. And Joe, we're at episode 120 already today. and. Um, we're excited to keep this thing rolling with Man on Second Podcast. So take it away. Yeah, thanks, Dave. And 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 welcome, Todd. Um, I've known Todd Hollinsworth since he joined the Marlins in 2003, was part of their championship team. Todd Hollinsworth played 12 years in the big leagues from 1995 to 2006. In 1996, while with the Los Angeles Dodgers, Todd was the National League Rookie of the Year. Todd also has played for the Rockies, Cubs, Braves, Rangers, Cleveland, Cincinnati, so he knows the league. Um, Post-playing career, Todd has uh, been a broadcaster. He's uh, been an analyst and and color. He's been uh, with the Chicago Cubs for a while, with the Marlins. Uh, He used to be on uh, MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. I always value his opinions. I value his friendship. Uh, These days, Todd's spending more time being a husband and a a father, coaching baseball at the youth level. And welcome, my friend, Todd Hollinsworth. Well, it's great to be with you guys. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, David, for having me on. Uh, It's a good time. It's a good time to be uh, getting ready for baseball, right? Spring training's right, getting ready to start here within the next 24 to 48 hours. And just great to be talking baseball again. Yeah, and and we're going to talk about uh, the youth level because you got a son playing and and you're heavily involved and and you know I don't know if you know Todd I've been doing some freelance stuff for for a high school website and I'm going to be going and seeing a baseball game tonight and doing a lot of high school as well as the big leagues so it's kind of fun for me to see it at all levels and I just wanted to ask you because you have the perspective from the big leagues on down to the youth. And where do you see the state of the game right now? Now it's a broad question, and and the sport evolves. But but how do you how do you see where the sport is right now? Well, I'm very optimistic. I you know this is a it's a great question, one that I probably would have given you a different answer to last year than this year, based on the state of the game and my excitement about some of the changes that are coming to Major League Baseball as far as the offense is concerned and. The game that I think that we'll get to watch this year will be a lot more fun than the game that we have been watching over the last few seasons. And I don't mean that in any type of disrespect to my 
fellow, uh, you know, ball players or organizations or teams, just that I think that we had become quite stale in our approach to who we are. Yes, we try to market the home run. Yes, we try to pound the strikeout. And we love to talk about exit velocities and, you know, pitching to the top of the strike zone. But I think maybe we got a little too smart for ourselves. Uh, and I think the game honestly got a little boring. Uh, most fans were really struggling with, uh, you know, you know, hitters hitting into too many shifts, guys just really not making the adjustments at all times at the plate uh, to those shifts and, you know, really just kind of waiting around for a guy or two to hit a home run so that we have a 2-1 victory that day. So it, it, it got weird for a while. Um, yeah, there's been some exciting games and there's still certainly some of those exciting teams. But I'm really hopeful and optimistic that some of the changes this year will will uh, allow Major League Baseball and some of the teams that we don't talk about quite as much anymore to maybe become a little bit more relevant. No, those are excellent points. And you touched on some things I want to follow up on because, yeah, you know, this sport, yes, it some of the most bright people, you know, that could come up with strategy could come up, meaning the shifting and using data to maximize performance almost kind of lost the feel for the sport. You're trying to make human beings robots with a predictable outcome. And if you're not getting those predictable outcomes, you're not, you're not bringing the creativity of the sport, uh, the natural, you know, just instinctive play and, or the rounded player, because this is where you stand on the field. This is where you hit in the order. This is where you hit the ball, you know, is kind of, and this is where you pitch the ball. It's well, kind I of was the game. It's a brilliant point because what it also has done is it's put a larger emphasis on the front office and no disrespect to anybody in the front office. You certainly have all earned your opportunities and earned your jobs, but this game should really be about the guys who are on the field. That's what we're tuning in to watch. And to that point, uh, many of these players have kind of gone through this transition of only doing what they're told to do or stand where they're told to stand and that creative element of, uh, you know, as an outfielder, I'll give you a quick example, left-handed hitter. He's getting beat by fastballs. I'm playing in left. He keeps fouling balls off to the left side. Well, I'm not going to just stay in the same spot. I'm going to start to creep to the left field foul line. Why? Because odds are, even if he starts to, you know, get a little bit better or a little bit uh, better swing on that fastball that he's struggling with right now, he's more likely to hit it to here than he is to the position that I started it. And so that's, a, you know, an example of a player thinking for himself, watching what's going on in the game and making that adjustment and obviously hoping getting the result that he wants because he put himself in the right position. But to your point, that's the creativity that in so many of these players has been lost. It's been lost because they've been told what to do. Like any good children, we teach this to our kids at home, right? Do as I say sometimes, but not always do as I do. But the point is, is that, you know, you want them to be uh, thinking for themselves, understanding this game. That was what the joy of this game was always centered around, was the curiosity. Every day you could go to a ball game and maybe see something new. Yeah, and that's a great point because I remember talking to Juan Pierre about that, you know, in the outfield, and he would read swings. He'd be like, okay, they want me to, but this guy's late all day. Right. And he's reading the guy's swing and he may shift over five feet to his, to his, his right, the hitter's left, meaning a left-handed batter. Uh, you know, seeing that, that seems to be where that ball's going to go. And, and are we, you know, I think when, obviously to get more offense, teams have become less concerned, let's say, about defense. It's like, you could be the best fielding shortstop, but if you can't hit a lick, you're not playing. You know, so what are the teams doing? They're trying to find bats because they're hard enough to find. And we'll worry about the defense when we get there. 
Yeah, and, and and it really has changed the game. And, and to your point about you know talking about all levels, I see it now even with the youth uh, youth of America, and you know they obsess over the same things the big leaguers did, just like I did when I was a kid. You know, you grew up watching the Philadelphia Phillies, you watch Von Hayes and that sweet swing, and the Andy Vance likes, and the guys that that, that you kind of emulate your game after, and you try to do what they do. These kids today, they talk the same way. They think the same way. Maybe they don't watch as much baseball. Maybe there's a little more Fortnite involved. But the point is, is that, you know, you're in a position where, you know, they do pay attention to what's going on. And many of these kids have the same hopes and dreams that we all did. But if we we, we want to be putting ourselves as adults, as myself, as a former player in position to help these kids understand the game itself. I tell my children all the time, I said, listen. I said, big league, you know, guys who hit all these home runs and struggle with their batting average, their on-base percentage, yeah, they've got the slug, that 30 home runs. Managers will love it, and you'll be in the lineup as long as you're hitting those 30 home runs. But the minute the 30 homer stops, you're not good enough defensively. You're not hitting for, you know, any kind of batting average uh, or putting the ball in play consistently enough. You don't add the speed asset to the game. So all of a sudden, you become a liability. And what you're seeing in our sport now, which you didn't used to see, is you'll see guys come in one year, They'll be all stars. They'll be MVPs. And then the next year, they'll be designated for assignment. And you're sitting there saying to yourself, in what universe did I just watch this guy play the greatest season I've seen in quite some time? And then, you know, four months later, 10 months later, four months into the major league season, he's struggling mightily. Think, boy, he's become such a liability that they're talking about moving him. Uh, uh, Bellinger with the Los Angeles Dodgers is one of the first guys that comes to my mind. Yeah. Well, that's who I thought you were talking about. You know, well, I, you mean, know, guys. I mean, you know, just for the sake of, you know, yeah. talking about it in, in, you know, in an open forum, I didn't want to mention yeah. too many games, you know, guys that way. But I think, you know, uh, you know, Corey Bellinger would certainly, you know, it, you know, admit to the struggles that he's had. I went through them certainly in my sophomore and in, in junior seasons uh, with the Los Angeles Dodgers after having a great breakout and then had to kind of get my feet on the ground. But, you know, through it all, I did it all in a Dodger uniform and, you know, uh, Cody Bellinger now he's he he's a you know he's a Chicago Cub I believe right yeah yeah he's with the Cubs and I'm pretty much on a one year deal looking to to prove himself uh, to hit the market next year as a free agent and, and really cash in um, I want to kind of shift back because there are some things that we're going to go down that lane about preparation and 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 kids and development in in a few minutes but I wanted to get you know as a former big leaguer as as someone who's been around the game forever that as a as a player, okay, pitchers and catchers, we know they report a few days before the position players, but now everyone wants to show the coach and the manager that they care. <laughs> so everyone's in early and everyone's right. picking the balls up and they're all excited. But how, as a position player, did you handle spring training and how much did it change from your day to now? You know, well, it's a great question because I can give you a variety of answers. Spring training is so interesting because. You know, you show up with incredible optimism. Well, first of all, you show up ready to go. Everybody does. I mean, that's that that's a simple fact, right? You've worked out, you've gotten yourself ready. But your optimism is, you know, where's my swing? What's my timing gonna look like? <laughs> I mean, Joe, I, I, I've had some incredible spring trains. There was one spring training I was with the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think I hit 450. I mean, it, I was like 45 for I was tired. I got to the end of spring training, I was tired. Hot as a firecracker, start to finish. Uh, was just ripping the cover off the ball and got to the start of the season and just went er, right down the tubes and just got off to a slow start. Other times, 
I got in, didn't get off the quite as fast to start in spring training, wasn't getting the results um, that I wanted, um, but got hot towards the end of spring training and it kind of carried over into the season and found myself getting off to a good start. So I don't know if there's a perfect way to do it. Every time I grabbed a bat and I had a uniform on, I thought it was like the last game I was going to play. That's how I, that's how my mind worked. Everybody doesn't think, think that way. And I'm not saying my way was right. I'd probably tell you it was wrong, but that's how I used to think. So I would take my spring training games, obviously very seriously. Uh, Certainly wanted to get the most out of them. So if I was struggling, I was still going to be pretty hard on myself, even in spring training. But if there was one message I would pass on, it would be this spring training is just to get yourself ready and you got to take it as, as easy as you can get yourself in the right frame of mind. And then you hope about the last four or five games that you're swinging at the fastball. And that's always the key is getting on that good fastball 95 and above know that you're barreling it up and putting good swings on it and your timings uh, in pretty good shape. Yeah. Dave, jump in. Todd, how did that translate over to the batting cage now? And we talked pre-show I'm a former minor league player coached collegiately for a long time mm-hmm. and I, I see the same things now that I saw back then, and that's meaningful swings in the cage mm-hmm. translate to the game. What was your approach uh, to batting practice, whether it was in the cage or on field? Well, I loved to hit. So to me, um, hitting as much it was kind of like going to the golf range and taking out the driver. I, I, I just loved to hit. I mean, I most days of my life <laughs> – all of my professional years, <laughs> I was accused of probably working too hard. And I don't always know if that was the right word. I just loved what I did. I loved to hit and I loved to, to, to hit the baseball. I could do it all day long. I, I really just did it until I ran out of arms to throw to me. So as far as preparation was concerned, that's really what I did. I mean, the other aspects of the game came pretty simply to me. I mean, I, I felt like I was aware enough in the outfield. It wasn't something that I had to overwork at. I never did. Uh, my base running uh, was very good when I started, and I could have probably done a little bit more practice of that in spring training as I got a little bit older, but I also started to slow down a bit. But the hitting wasn't hard. I mean, I loved the cage work. I would stay in there for hours on end and 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 work tirelessly. I loved the high tee. I mean, that's something that kids today can do um, individually, and what that is is put that tee as high as you possibly can, put it out on front of home plate. Yes, it's not a strike off the tee, but it really does force you to take a perfect swing because the only way that you're going to hit a ball that high square is to have a good swing and stay behind it. So that's what I did a lot of. I work on it today with the kids uh, pretty often working on the high tee. And then the other things that you can incorporate into, you know, making your day productive and trying to get better. So for me, it was always about timing. That's the one thing that I really always needed to work on, getting my front foot down uh, on time. Sometimes I would go through great stretches where I'd be perfectly on time. Others, I'd start a little bit late and I'd be fighting fighting for weeks. <laughs> Those were the grind days. But, um, you know, that's kind of what I was trying to work, always working towards getting that front foot down on time. I like that. It's it's, uh, it's complicated simplicity at its finest. Sounds simple to say, but those of us that have hit know that it's that's the trick to get that down. Were there little tricks that you would do to yourself, drill work, things you'd say to yourself? We, you know, there's there were no iPads in the dugout back then. We didn't have iPads. How did you figure out that your timing was off? Um, and then what'd you do to fix it? Or well, something? you'd figure out your timing was off by the games that you were playing. I mean, the end result was always, you know, the games that you were in and what you were maximizing. You know, if you go up against guys that you knew um, that you shouldn't be getting beat by, and if for some reason you felt like you were getting beat by them, that, you know, it was it was more, you know, trial and error. Everything that was going on in front of you, um, inter-squad games, all those different things. How are you seeing the ball? How are you reacting to the ball? 
uh, you know, somebody throwing you 93 mile an hour fastball and you feel early, well, you can be in a good spot. I mean, there's a few times where I've rolled over 93 and I'm like, that's all right. I'm right where I need to be. I was a little early. I wasn't late. Late was the one I always struggled with the most and I didn't always love uh, to deal with. But, uh, you know, the drills in the cage were always, I, I, I loved high T. I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can really do. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, trying to perfect your swing, throwing, you know, soft tossing from a lot of different angles. Most kids today, they love to soft toss from, you know, the front side where a guy's either throwing short to them uh, underhand. There's not a whole lot of velocity, but they can work on their mechanics. I always found that, you know, there were a lot of different ways that you could do this. We used to do a drill, um, which I loved, um, and it got me to really work on staying back because that was one of the things I would tend to fight was drifting to my front side and not controlling my weight on my backside. So I would load, I would start back, but then I would come far too far forward, almost like trying to go out and get the baseball as opposed to allowing the ball to come in. And a drill you can do to help you do that is to actually take soft toss from behind you. And what that is, is that somebody just kind of lines up behind you. You move a little bit forward in the ca in the cage. You kind of keep your head back and your eyes back because the ball is coming from, a complete, from the completely opposite side. And you do soft toss that way. You have to let the ball enter the hitting zone where you ultimately want to make contact and keep your weight back so that you can drive the baseball. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can creatively work around a cage and use soft toss really to your advantage if you only have a few things. But a lot of these kids today, man, they've got all the gear, they've got all the equipment, they've got plenty of uh, machines and everything else to try to get themselves ready. Yeah. That was one of my favorite uh, drills to do to prepare for guys with great breaking pitches to help yep. keep me back. I was a switch hitter. I stayed back better lefty than I did righty for some reason. But uh, no, I, I love those. And yeah, you're right today. I think the, the the lack of thinking that you're talking about that goes on the field, I think is translating over to all these kids needing swing coaches and hitting coaches and whatnot. And, and I'll ask you this, and maybe you did have one, but you know, playing college baseball and then playing professional baseball, I never had a swing coach or a hitting coach. Somehow I learned how to hit. Did you have one growing up? No, yeah, I, I did. They were called Major League Baseball players. I mean, that's yeah, just right. really it. Uh, I mean, you watched and you learned and you taught yourself. And then you had your hitting coaches who were great men, uh, good men. I learned a lot from them. You'd learn a lot of, you'd end up spending a lot of time with your hitting coaches in ways that, you know, you'd learn a lot about life. Some of it good, some of it bad, not always perfect. But I mean, that's how you got to know people. But that was kind of how we communicated. We didn't have, the cell phones, the way these kids do today, we weren't self-promoting ourselves, you know, with our swings and, you know, you see it today. Hey, video, video is great. It's fine. It, it, it really does help these kids do an awful lot of good things uh, with their swings. But I also do believe that there's a, a lack of balance in that. So, um, you know, we communicated, we, we talked, we talked hitting. I mean, there, there's a lot of times, you know, you get into a cage with your hitting coach and you know, when I played, which was a few years ago, you know, you had you had one hitting coach. So a lot of times what would happen, you'd take three or four guys into the cage, you'd get good work in for 45 minutes. Then you'd all drop the bats, pick up the balls and sit around and talk for another half an hour about your swing, about somebody else's swing, about something they saw that day or something that somebody's trying to improve on. And how are we going to be better tomorrow? That's kind of like how it used to be. Right. There was a lot of communication. Yeah. Right. It's, it, uh, Dave, do you have one more? No, no, I think that was great. We appreciate yeah. it. No, yeah, and that that's uh, – the word feel, Todd, is a word I use a lot. And I think the, the people in the game have the feel and what you're talking about. How do you get that feel? It's exactly what you were just saying. When you're there and you're – okay, you get done hitting and, you, and you're talking hitting with, you know, with 
whomever, you know, and and you're just talking the sport. And, and that's on the journalism side. I, I go to the ballpark and the media is not seeking out the now the late Don Sutton. I'd speak to him all the time when when he would come be part of the, the broadcast booth of of the Braves and you, anyone. I was always looking to talk to someone and learn more about baseball from baseball people. Mm-hmm. And, and that is really important, which gets to my follow up question here is it's this load management that drives me nuts. And I know, you know, you know, Wampier brought that work ethic back in 03 where spring training will start at 645 basically because of Wampier, not at eight, not at nine. And I always loved it. And you saw me there all the time in 03 at spring training. I loved getting there as a reporter to see the guys go through infield drills, to see the guys that go be on every field, outfield drills, infield drills, watch every pitcher I could. Then I go to spring training now and nobody's on the field because, oh, well, they took five ground balls. They're, they're resting for the game. And I'm like, what? It's like spring training. You know, that, that's where you kind of saw who can play. You got kind of a feel for things. How do, what's your thought on this, this load management? And I get conserving and not burning out and getting guys hurt. But if you're not getting baseball ready in spring training, then when are you? Well, one thing I know for sure, Joe, and it is a very good question, is that that philosophy is one that I could never I, I, I couldn't I couldn't possibly have done it. God didn't make me that way. And the reason I say it that way is because I was always a firm believer in, you know, the effort that you put out there on the field and the effort that you put into the game and the results that you got ultimately led to your opportunity for the next day or the next week or the next year. And I felt I always felt like everything was connected. And I do believe that everything is connected. And I think it, you know, it's something that I said a little bit earlier, why we why we see what we see now in the game with these players who come and go so quickly, who for a second are amazing, incredible talents, have some of the best years that we've talked about in the last 10 years. And then we're wondering what happened, you know, the process, why is there not the consistency? You know, very few players today have the same level of consistency. I mean, I will say that, but I think that that is directly related to the simple fact that our generation tend tended to behave that way. I mean, we just worked. We didn't, we didn't have other things to maybe distract us or bother us to our, you know, where these kids do today. And I certainly understand that it's not their fault. They're only doing what they're being taught. And that is, that is the truth. I do stand by that. So our, it's not like our kids are trying to get away with something. It's just that, you know, this is maybe what perfect game is teaching them in a lot of ways. And, 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 you know, the game that they're playing when they're in their teens is transitioning to the game that they're playing as they get older. There's just different priorities. For us, all we ever did was just play the game. So, I mean, we, we loved it for what it was. We wanted to do more of it, and we never got tired of it. Most of us would go home after an eight-hour day, and we'd be like, can't wait to go back tomorrow. You know, so it's just different, um, you know, the way that they think. We always saw it like this incredible privilege, and I think that they think it's the same thing too. But I do think that there's a level of expectation now, um, especially at the big league level that I didn't see maybe when I played. And if they're not going to put that in, if they're okay living with the results, because I do fear for a lot of the guys, to your point, that if you're not going to put in the work and you go out there and have a bad season, here's the one thing I know. Managers don't manage a whole lot differently. They may, they're, they're, you know, their tactical measures might be different, but what they see is this. If a guy can hit, a guy can play. If a guy can hit and defend, a guy's not coming out of my lineup. If he's failing to do any of those, checking the boxes, well, then you have to look for other places to play. There's only a couple of teams around major league baseball that say, okay, well, listen, you're the young guy, go out there, go get it done, hit or miss. 
we're sticking with you for the year because we want to see what you can do. That doesn't exist. Most everybody still really has a level of expectation uh, around the game uh, as far as what their franchises are supposed to look like. So if you're going to struggle and you're going to get off to a bad start, you know, you're going to end up sitting. I, I mean, it, it, think about this. I mean, in, what was it? We just watched Matt Carpenter, right, last year. Yep. It was That was one of the most amazing runs we saw a player go on when he was with the Yankees before he got hurt, right? Just absolutely on fire. In fact, most of us, you know, around the game, guys that, you know, buddies of mine talk. I give so much of where the Yankees ultimately ended up because he got hot at a time where the Yankees were really kind of trying to struggle just a little bit. And they were, you know, getting some injuries and some things were going on. Of course, Aaron Judge was amazing. But think of the, think of the Carpenter story. What was it, a year or two ago? Where, I mean, it was like, yeah, he was one, one of the greatest he, struggles we've ever seen, right? Yeah, yeah. He was. He went from being this like 300 hitter to almost out of the league. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, and, uh, basically out of the league, off the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, but he had the track record, and he probably knew how to. You know, that's what they always said. The guys said that had accomplished. If they struggled, they at least knew they had success at the big leagues, and that always they knew how to get out of it, you know, right. Right. you know, it may take a little while, but that's, that's always that, that tricky balancing point where not everyone's going to be hot, not everybody at the same time. And and it's the struggle that all teams go through is when do you give up on a player? When do you, uh, do you sit the player? Or when do you have like the McKeon conviction that that's my guy, no matter what, um, you know, and I'm going to ride it out and, and sink or swim because I believe in the player. And I think a lot of those have now, Maybe that's why the Bruce Bochies are back in, in baseball. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, know, you hit the nail on the head with that. That's a great point. I just told somebody this the other day. I said, don't you think it's so interesting that we're just seeing this little wave of some of the best managers from my generation and maybe even a little bit before starting to pop back up on everybody's radar again? Showalter's back in the game. Bochy's back in the game. I mean, it's just great. It's good to see. Yeah. Hey, uh, we could talk all day about this, but I do want to hit home heavily on on youth and fundamental and, and and talk about the high school stuff you're doing. Fill people in with what you're doing now with your boys and, and you're helping out some people and, and what you're seeing at that level. And I'm sure Dave's going to have some questions. Well, I'm down here in South Florida and uh, I love it. I mean, my kids love baseball. Of course, baseball's in our blood as much as uh, anybody. Uh, I get the privilege of helping my sons out. I help a friend of mine out as well. So in years past, I was probably a little bit more exclusive to my son's high school down here, Calvary Christian Academy, um, last few seasons. But now really what I'm doing is, is I'm kind of using using my time uh, in, in kind of giving it in a lot of different ways. I have a friend that's uh, at Boca Christian right now, a very dear friend of mine who I can help out occasionally. My youngest son was at Westminster Academy. I get the opportunity to help him out. Uh, once or twice a week. And then I try to help my son, my oldest son out uh, at Cardinal Gibbons. So um, I'm just kind of checking in at a few different places and, and, and going around and, and helping these guys get better at hitting and base running and whatever I can do to help them get better. And, the, and you know, the great thing that you're seeing now that, that I'm seeing is um, these kids love the game. I mean, there's just so many kids that love the game. And of course, uh, you know, a, a good thermometer certainly is South Florida. I mean, baseball's a hotbed down here. I mean, you've got kids that can play baseball year round. It goes on. I think that COVID changed things a little bit back in 2020. I think that, you know, there were a couple other sports that were starting to gain some popularity. 
but I'm starting to see some of those kids getting back to baseball, like lacrosse was starting to kind of pop up and maybe a little soccer. Not that they weren't popular sports, but that they were maybe taking some of the baseball players because, of course, guys, kids couldn't play, and then they were getting more curious and other things. So I'm starting to see that transition back. Kids are getting back to the game of baseball. They want to be great at it. Um, and they're working hard. I know that they really, really are. Um, the thing that I would say about the youth game that, that I do get um, – I get nervous about is that I, you know, the, the education of the players, and that's just really what it comes down to. Um, you know, we, we taught ourselves because we could, you know, you, you kind of think of the process, right? So we didn't have the cell phones. We didn't have all these other things to distract us. So we loved baseball. We looked at every day, like a playoff game. That's how I lived. Like going to even high school baseball practice, you loved it because there wasn't anything else to do. You were like, all right, if I'm not doing this, I'm just at home getting in trouble. And so you had great things going on there. And then you were hungry for anything you could see on TV. And so you were always searching it out. At least we always were as kids. Now, because you have it kind of at your disposal, I think that kids are just kind of mildly interested in it and maybe don't crave it as much because they feel like it's always there. And um, that's what I kind of hope for these kids. I know that with uh, some of the changes that are that are happening in Major League Baseball, that these these young kids are going to hopefully be able to lay eyes on a little bit of a different game. The speed factor, I think, could be a huge you know thing in Major League Baseball this year. You're going to watch infield hits kind of become a thing again. Uh, you know, Hitting against shifts certainly will be part of the game, but I think that you're going to see bigger and higher batting averages. You know, Watching Tony Gwynn win batting crowns hitting 340 seems to be the norm, not guys winning batting championships at 316 or below. So it's, it's you know, that's what it's about. I think that, you know, you're going to see – more of the athleticism in these kids um, in the major league level, which I think is going to encourage these kids at the lower levels who are great athletes, not to just focus on how many home runs am I hitting batting practice today? They realize how important it is to know how to run the bases, you know, the things, how you can help your team win. And there's a lot of good coaches out there and certainly a lot of good coaches down here that are doing good jobs to teach these kids the game of baseball. But that is the one thing that is probably the top of my list is it's that I don't know if they're getting it all. I know travel ball does not teach them and travel ball is all tournaments and that's not doing anybody any favors. I'm very thankful for all the games, but if your kids aren't coming prepared and know the game inside and out, they're not going to learn it in those tournaments that they're playing in the other, <laughs> in the state next to you. Yeah. Dave. Would, Todd, you mentioned the, the commonality. You obviously have a passion for the game. You're recognizing that these, kids coming up do as well. We're kind of at similar paths. I have four children all about the same age as yours, and I'm involved kind of sprinkling myself where I can. My biggest struggle, and I want to get your advice to this, uh, parents and kids out there, with all these inputs that the kids have right now, how does that alter your messaging to them? And what kind of advice can you give to the kids and the parents about managing these inputs uh, with the hope of taking this passion to the level they want to take it? Well, I think that's that's really a, you know, a a great question and a great way of asking it. But I, I think that it se- it feels to me to be an easy answer because it's kind of one that I try to instill in my kids. But you get out of this game what you put into it. If you're going to give your heart and soul to this game and you're going to put everything that you've got. Let your thoughts be absorbed by getting better. Uh, be obsessed with you know improving your game and 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 making the adjustments and figuring things out on your own you definitely have the chance to to play this game at the next level. I think really anybody does. I say that to people all the time. I mean, you know, the, the common factor with major leaguers is really the mind. It's not always the the ability. I mean, yeah, there's guys that do things that are amazing and 
throws that are amazing and arm strength that's amazing and power that's amazing. But not everybody has it all the same way. The commonality with with the major leaguers is the mind and the conversation inside the mind that goes on in the course of a baseball game, in the course of communicating with each other on a field and helping each other improve. And the, the places that I find where, you know, groups of kids really turn into something and get to go to college and places, you watch how they, they practice. You watch how they go about their business. And they're not there to fool around. They're there to get their work in. They're there to improve. They're there to prove to themselves that I can be better today than I was yesterday. And tomorrow I look to be even better. And here's why, is I'm going to work on my footwork in the outfield. I'm going to work on picking a ball up off the warning track and grabbing a four seamer so that the ball that I throw to the shortstop doesn't sink or cut or do something crazy because those steps are, you know, each step matters. And we might throw that guy out at third base. I mean, these are all things that we would practice when we were, you know, when we were in instructional league, when we were in spring training, all the things that we would just kind of obsess over finding ways to make ourselves better so that when you get into those moments, those things are easy to do. They're not complicated thoughts that you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Why do I, I guess I wish I would have thought that through. Well, if you practice it, you're going to do it naturally. And so that's the, that's the message that I really try to drive home with many of these kids today is really, you will get out of it what you put into it and just make sure that you're putting in your whole effort, your whole heart and your whole mind. And then I'm going to give you one more. I guess it's probably a loaded question that you touched on it with your major league experience, but to these young kids out there, I watch all these travel tournaments and the thing that I cringe the, well, I cringe a lot, but the, uh, the base running, how important is base running? Well, uh, the base running, I, I think it will be a, a, it is the top of the list as far as the one thing I think will be a game changer this year. If we have players who apply themselves to playing the game on the bases with more contact, we're going to see games. We're going to see teams creatively score more runs. I mean, it was only, what, the 80s where, you know, teams really prided themselves on putting the ball in play, not striking out 100 times, um, you know, moving guys along, using speed to take an extra base. I think that there is going to be some pressure applied um, by offenses who look to take advantage of this. And I think there's some really good athletic teams, maybe even a few of them that come to mind out West, uh, that if they, you know, bunt, put the ball and play to the right side, I mean, they're going to be able to score runs in droves because of speed. Puts a tremendous amount of pressure, not in, in, you know, like stealing bases. You know, you, you don't steal bases on the catcher. You steal bases on the pitcher. That's who you steal bases on. I mean, you you set yourself up, and you got to know when to go. If you're running on a breaking pitch, I mean, there there aren't very there are very few catchers that are going to throw guys out on breaking pitches. So you figure that out for yourself when that guy's going to throw that breaking pitch and get yourself a good jump, and you're going to help your team get into position to score more runs. So you know, if strikeouts decrease, offense increase, balls are in play more often. There's going to be more runs scored. It's just a simple fact, and um, I think that that's a real possibility. Um, you know, this year. And I think that the kids, you know, out there um, are in a position to hopefully see some of this and realize that scoring runs is more than just hitting homers all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Ty, I know your time is, is being pushed. So we, we, one more from me and we're going to get you out of here and, you know, talking about, you talk about hitting, improving, but uh, your good friends, your family is, and a former teammate of your boys has a chance to be one of the real special young pitchers in this sport. Yeah. You might at 19 years old might be, pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies this year. It's for Andrew <laughs> Painter. Uh, what, what can you tell us about Andrew and, uh, you know, you know, your excitement level for him? 
Uh, we are very excited for him. Andrew's uh, he's a fine young man. And uh, I, I got to be honest with you, I'm as impressed with him as a human being and, and a young man as I am as a baseball player. And I guess that would say a lot considering his stock right now in Major League Baseball is pretty high, even though he hasn't thrown a pitch yet. Uh, he will. Uh, you know, I think that his his ceiling is probably unmeasurable right now. Uh, I think that this young man has more to offer than people really do realize. And it's just a matter of time before everybody gets to see it. This is a young man that comes from a good family. He comes from good stock, good parents, uh, good people. He loves people. He loves his teammates. He loves to succeed and he loves to improve. And maybe that's the the one thing that really has stood out to me over the last uh, bunch of years being around him is just how much he looks to improve. I watched him his senior year. And I mean, this is a kid that is now on average, you know, touching 99 and 100 miles an hour. And I mean, you know, we'll use an example of Sandy Alcantara, right, with the with, with the Miami Marlins. You know, this is a young man who had that ability. And as he got going, Sandy had the ability to dominate lineups using just merely his fastball all the time because that's how hard he threw and he had enough sink and he had a little run to it. He could get through a lineup. He could get through five, six innings at the major league level and put up good numbers with that. Now, of course, Sandy has gone on. He's won the National League Cy Young. He's developed as he's moved forward and he's learned those pitches. I got the privilege of watching him do this at the major league level. The thing that impresses me so much with Andy is that he's got the same size and the same structure, long arms, six foot seven, big kid, big body. He's been doing this already. He hasn't thrown a pitch at the major league level. This kid has got an arsenal already. He throws a slider. He throws a curveball. He's got one of the better changeups that you've seen. And of course, he's got a hundred mile an hour fastball. And the thing that impressed me so much his senior year was that he got into a position, you know, whenever he got the little bit of trouble that he ever got himself into, he didn't just always rely on overpowering high school hitters to get himself out of it. He was really determined to teach himself how to pitch. And I think that's what we've seen. The reason his stock has gone from the 13th pick in the 2021 draft to number one right-hander in all of baseball probably should be in the big leagues as a teenager is the simple fact that he came to Major League Baseball polished and ready to go. He put himself in position by constantly working and looking to improve. And let that be a testament to everybody, because most people will look at him and say, you know what, God just gave him the ability. But he took the ability, he's harnessed it, he works at it, and he looks to get better. He does, He's never satisfied. And the reason he's in the position that he's in is not because he throws 100 miles an hour, it's because he's got about five ways of getting you out. Oh, and by the way, he throws 100 miles an hour. That's unbelievable. We look forward to seeing what he does and we'll have you on back again and we're going to talk about it. And hopefully sometime we can get Andrew on this on the podcast as well. It would be great to do that as well. But, you know, Holly, I really appreciate you coming on. And and here at our channel, our, our mission is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. I think we've done just that. We're making our voices heard. Dave, any last announcements before we get out of here? Yeah, just thanking again our 12,000 uh, subscribers. You've been great to us. Continue to Download, listen, like, subscribe. And we are in grassroots all the way to the front offices. So major league clubs out there, I know you're not you're not looking for it yet, Todd, because you're you're helping out a bunch of different programs. But if I'm a major league front office and I need a hitting guy to come in or a base <laughs> running guy or an outfield guy or a scout, I'm I'm on the phone with you today. So uh front offices pay attention to this interview, if for nothing else for that purpose alone. It's a great baseball guy that needs to be in the game somewhere. Yeah, no, that's very yeah. high praise. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, you guys, for uh, for the time. Uh, 
love for the game never dies. That It never does. It doesn't go away. And I think exciting things are going to be happening for the game that we all love this year at the major league level. Well, we're glad to hear that that optimism because, you know, we're sharing it. You know, we're, we're not, you know, making any bones about it. We, we express what we're concerned about. We also praise what we like. And we certainly do love baseball. And that's why our passion's here. And um, and once again, you know, thank you to Todd Hollinsworth, to Dave D'Agostino. Uh, thanks to the audience for tuning in to the podcast. And keep following because we've got a lot of great content coming your way. And, Dave, we are out of here. Oh,